HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby, broadcast live to the cosmos on the Heritage Radio Network. Good Sunday afternoon to you, and welcome to another episode of Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Ann Saxelby. Our show today has been sponsored by TechServe, Manhattan's Apple specialist, independent Apple specialist, that is. So thank you to them for their generous sponsorship. And it is being produced and engineered by uh, none other than the, more, than the talented uh, Nat Wiener. Um, so I'm very excited to welcome Kate Arding, one of the founders of Culture Magazine, onto the show today. I think uh, we have Kate on the line. Kate, are you there? I am. I'm here. Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much for taking time out of your Sunday afternoon to chat with me and be on the show. Well, thank you for having me. And, and so where, where are you based right now? Are you upstate New York? Is that... Well, I'm never quite sure what upstate actually means. I think I'm sort of somewhere in the middle, but I'm really close to the Massachusetts border, ah. sort of Great Barrington area. I love that part of the Northeast. It is so gorgeous. Yes, it really is, and it's, it's been gorgeous recently, too. And that's kind of cool, because you're right in the middle of all the cheese action. You've got New York, you've got, yeah, the uh, Berkshires and, and Great Barrington, and you're close to Vermont, and just kind of the the i don't know where a lot of the action's happening well it is and I, I moved here actually about a year ago and um one of the reasons that i particularly wanted to come to this area was to become a lot more familiar with the producers in the northeast well yeah so well, tell can you tell us uh just briefly uh sort of you're uh, obviously you're one of the founders of culture magazine but i, I feel like if you could tell us a little bit about um, how you got into cheese and sort of what are some of the different cheese hats that you wear, um, not like the ones that, you know, are at Green Bay Packer games, but, you know, <laughs> jo- in, in terms too. of jobs, yeah. <laughs> well, it's, um, I don't know how brief I can be, but I'll try. Um, I, it was, uh, I didn't really sort of start my career one morning just waking up and thinking, ooh, I want to do cheese. I want to be involved with cheese. I, I sort of came at it by a rather circuitous route, um, which in, first of all involved me 
going to work for Neil's Yard Dairy, which is a company in London. Oh, okay. Um, this, was, this was in the early 90s, and um, I'd actually come across the, the shop um, because I was making deliveries there. Um, I was, at the time, working for my uncle's business, which is a, a small company in the UK that makes mustards and sauces, and I was making deliveries there in, uh, in a ripped jeans and a baseball hat, carrying trayloads of mustard. And I walked <laughs> into, the, uh, into the shop and I was just like, wow. Uh, it was wall-to-wall cheese. And, but above and beyond that, it was really a very different atmosphere from most of the upscale food shops that I had also delivered to, uh, which had been quite snotty in their sort of atmosphere and so on and Neil's yard was the antithesis of that he walked in and and they were all wearing baseball caps and jeans too (laughs) exactly exactly I thought I was coming home yeah (laughs) um but they they were sort of very inclusive and very welcoming and and quite apart from this overwhelming sort of uh display of cheese because they do the or at least at that point they did the maturing actually in the shop um, there was this great atmosphere, you know, the people behind the counter were engaged and busy and, and immediately sort of made you feel welcome and handed you a sample of cheese. And it, it wasn't as if they were sort of saying, well, here's a sample, what do you think? It was like, oh, here, try this, it just came in. And it was it was just very seductive. And, and being of a somewhat greedy nature, I loved that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, me too. Um, I never refuse a free sample. Exactly, exactly. And so anyway, to cut a long story short, I, I ended up working there. As a, Were you a monger? Were you behind the counter? Yes, well, initially, um, initially everybody kind of did a stint on retail, which was good. Um, but I was actually very clear that I wanted to work in the wholesale side, which was fairly um, recent. Uh, this is uh, going back to about 1993. And at the time, the sort of British food revolution was starting to kick in, not a moment too soon, I may add. Yeah. <laughs> and although we didn't really realize it at the time, you know, it was, when you're in the thick of it, it, it's hard to see what's going on about you. But I was always very interested in, in working with sort of restaurants and the, the stores. And uh, so, yes, that's what I, I had really applied to do. And as luck would have it, there was a, an opening um, in a very sort of embryonic wholesale department, which occupied a sort of eight foot by 10 foot space on the landing. That is so and heartening that was... to hear that that's like <laughs> the size of it. Cause Neil's yard now, it is like the temple of cheese. You go there and to the arches and it's just like, you know, it's, it's amazing how much it is. beautiful it, it, cheese it, they have there. It's wonderful to see it. And, and when I was there in the early days, it was, a, it was a very different <laughs> sort of, I mean, the atmosphere I think is very similar now, but, but the, the location was, you know, a lot more crammed. Um, they still do have that location, actually, in Shorts Gardens. But, so that was that was my introduction, and that's really where I, I sort of cut my teeth on it. And, and again, I, I was too naive to, to understand it at the time, but, you know, what was really going on was remarkable, and, and I was learning so much, you know, and absorbing so much from, from the other members of staff and from Randolph Hodgson, the owner, and not just about cheese itself, although obviously that comes into it too, but also about the philosophy of um, Niels Yard Dairy and, and what that really means, which is to maintain 
you know, very strong links with the producers. And that was the innovative thing for the time. I mean, now it's, it's a lot more commonplace, which is great. But at the time, it was quite unusual. So that really proved to be a great foundation for me. And so that through that job, I'm, were you able to go out and meet uh, the producers that you guys bought from and see their cheese-making operations and sort of learn what it was to, to actually make the cheese as well? Yes, I mean, we, we did. I mean, we used to take turns, you know, going out and actually collecting the cheeses from the farms, which was wonderful because it meant you could watch the cheese-making, get to know the people behind it, um, understand you know, where they were coming from and, and what they were trying to achieve in in making the cheeses in these ways. And it, it just makes you proud to sell them. You know, it, it's as simple as that. Because it, you've I mean, taken I lo- a part in it. And, 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 yeah, you've had a conversation and you've spent a day and it's just exactly, meaningful. Exactly. And, and it, it's, it's people behind the cheese, um, particularly for me, that... that motivates me i mean obviously i love eating cheese clearly but um it's uh, it's the people behind it who are essentially farmers you know mostly uh who you know really really motivate me to to sort of work with it that and um, it's the same for me somebody asked me once why i why i started my shop and why i focused on you know solely american cheeses and for me it was really yeah just having traveled around and met people and really um not only so enjoying my time with everyone but having that that understanding of um how each person goes about making cheese and i feel like when you taste cheese if you've met the person you can really sort of trace trace it back to their methodologies and their their personal philosophy and that's kind of the most uh exciting and and inspiring part of of being able to sell cheese the way that the way that yeah that that neil's yard does or the way that we do and it's really uh it's an exciting thing absolutely it is and it's you know it's i feel very privileged really to to get to know these people you know as well and and to build relationships you know become friends with with many of them so yeah it was it was a great foundation and from there um so how did you find how did you you make your way from um from london to the u.s and uh and what have what else have you been up to along the way well it was uh, (laughs) quite a again serendipity played a, a strong part in this um but i was i was at the dairy as i say and and working downstairs in these sort of uh, fairly damp but very lively conditions <laughs> and uh, and we had as you can imagine we had quite a lot of visitors coming through there you know one way or another to, to sort of see what we were up to because the word was beginning to get out at that point and one day uh, we had two visitors sue conley and peggy smith um, ah, cowgirl say, creamery exactly <laughs> who came to uh, stop by and and partly because i was working you know, predominantly with restaurants, um, I had heard of Chez Panisse in Berkeley, which is where Peggy had been working and uh, for a very long time. And so I was very excited, you know, to, to go and meet her and, and Sue. And we just started talking. And you know, we got on really well, and, and they were keen to, to go and see a couple of the farms. And as luck would have it, I had a little time off. So we piled into my... Morris Minor car and sort of chugged off down the motorway 
to go and visit the Neil's Yard Creamery in Kent mm-hmm. and um, another place as well. And we just had a great couple of days. And, and in the course of this, they told me of their plans, which at that point were sort of pipe dream, um, to start what was then called Tamales Bay Foods. And, and this was 1995. So Tamales Bay Foods, which is the sort of parent company, if you like, of Cowgirl Creamery at that point, um, was a marketing company, a very, very small one, started by Sue, with, with a vision to enhance a sort of regional food um, identity, if you like, for Marin County, just north of San Francisco. Mm. And uh, she was working with uh, Bellwether Farms and the Strauss Family Creamery and also Redwood Hill um, Farms just those three clients and, and had started at the little local farmer's market in Point Reyes. So it was really embryonic, but they had this very clear vision that they wanted to convert a barn in Point Reyes and, and turn it into um, a creamery and essentially a sort of permanent farmer's market. That was the original idea. And I thought, ooh, that sounds really fun. So anyway. <laughs> sounds really fun. Um, Not too bad scenery-wise either. Well, exactly. And that was... The <laughs> One of the things that got me, because <laughs> I, I had some holiday, some vacation owing, the way Europeans do, actually. Mm-hmm. And um, and I had a little time, and so I thought, oh, I'll come out and, and visit them. And, and they couldn't have been more generous and, and showed me this, this concept. And I absolutely fell head over heels in love with the, with the area and the whole idea. And anyway, again, to sort of cut a long story short, you know, I started the ball rolling for a visa, which, as anybody who's undergone that process will know, is is very time-consuming. To say the and least, yeah. Yes, <laughs> and then, uh, yes, two years later, um, actually the opening, the official opening day of, of uh, Cowgirl Creamery in Point Reyes, I made it by eight hours <laughs> with jet lag. <laughs> so I was just standing there, slightly dazed and confused, not quite sure where I was, sort of going, hello, you know. Hello. <laughs> and, and it went from there, so yeah. Wow, okay, so so then you were at, uh, so you worked with Peggy and Sue for, for how long? Um, I was there until, I think it was either 2003 or four. gets a bit hazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, it was a, an amazing time, I mean, it really was, and it was so exciting. I mean, I had no idea, really, what I was getting into or, or how long I'd even be here. And um, but essentially, what they were doing was forming or helping to form a tradition. You know, and this is the way I kind of view it. You know, in England, we've been very much concerned at that time with with trying to preserve various cheesemakers from going out of business and and trying to help them survive. And and this was a whole other world because it was like starting with a clean slate. You know, which was mm. incredibly exciting. There was no template to follow nothing um although sue and peg actually did um clearly model the business after neil's yard which of course was a large part of the reason i was there and uh and it was really fun it was a roller coaster i mean it was we had no idea (laughs) what we were doing um but it was great fun and and very exciting to to see things happen but it it didn't it didn't happen right away I, i remember standing on my little retail counter behind it mm-hmm. and I had this very small selection of what I thought were knockout you know local cheeses and people would come in and 
sort of say, you know, do you have any brie? You know, do you have any cheddar? Oh, you have that any old question. And I was, you know, replying, well, I don't have any brie, but I have, you know, the Redwood Hills camellia. And I felt like this broken record, you know, for ages. <laughs> In fact, the way I put it was sort of Billy Graham of the cheese world. <laughs> and uh, so I just sat there and sat there. And after about sort of six or nine months of this, I, I did actually think, what have I done? You know, <laughs> yeah. you know these I Americans don't understand anything. <laughs> well, I did. And, and, but then suddenly there was this sea change, you know, and that was what was so fascinating to witness, you know, and it was a combination of, you know, the media and, you know, cheesemakers, you know, working their socks off and new people wanting to get into it. Um, and simultaneously, the, the, as these new cheeses were starting to appear on the market, there were also an increase in the number of retailers and, in the, and distributors, and the level of knowledge, you know, was just increasing, you know, tangibly you know, almost in front of our very eyes. And so whilst obviously the producers play a, a really important part, I think it's it's also essential to realise that it's across the board, you know, because the producers couldn't exist, you know, and make a success of it without a lot of good support from, from retailers. Oh, and from the education and the Billy Grahams of the world who stand there and say, okay, this is <laughs> this is what this tastes like. This is who made it. I mean, yeah, it's it's an incredible amount of work. The Well, it, it is, but it's so exciting, you know, and to see it happen so quickly, I mean, that was the astounding thing to me. I mean, it, it really was, yeah, I mean, it was happening in front of our very eyes. You know, we just couldn't keep up. I mean, we just, you know, it was for a while there, you know, and, and, but it was, you know, really hats off to, to Sue and Peg for making that leap. You know, I was very, very fortunate to be in on the, the ground floor with them on that. So that, that taught me a, a tremendous amount. And got you in really at the ground floor of the American sort of cheese renaissance, which of course started before that, but I feel like really started to gain momentum in the early mid nineties and, and has just kind of, you know, blossomed incredibly ever since to the point now where it's hard, it's very hard to keep track of all the, all the action. It is, it is. And, uh, but I think it's also as, as we've, you know, I've been here 13 years now, um, as we've grown, you know, as an industry, I think there's a maturity creeping into, which I think is terrific, you know, and, and I've, I'm very aware. Is that a cheese pun? Oh, sorry. Mature. Sorry, no, I'm just that. kidding. <laughs> not intentional, not intentional. <laughs> but I, I think, you know, what's very exciting, and, and this was particularly brought home to me recently with um, this event, which I know Adam Moskowitz was talking about on your show recently, about the Cheesemonger Invitational, and, and to see this new generation of, of younger cheesemongers and cheesemakers and retailers and distributors, you know, in, you know, bringing their energy and their perspective into the scene and essentially take, you know, starting to take over the battle. You know, it, it's, it's very exciting, I think. Yeah. There's, there's so much energy and passion there. And they're seeing it in, in a different way to how... I did and maybe you did but no lesser for that it's very cool 
No, right, it's cool. kind of it's it's a process of evolution, and it's definitely, um, you know, it's just taking it even. Um, it's making a, an already complex system complex in a good way. It's making it even more complex, and kind of you know taking the roots and spreading them, and and going deeper, and you know just just honing the the craft even more. So, it well, is. We have to we have to take a quick quick break, um, but when we come back from the break, um, I would love to talk with you a bit about uh, Culture Magazine and uh, all the good work that's happened there. So stay with us on Cutting the Curd. Welcome back to Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Ann Saxelby. Our show today has been sponsored by TechServe and produced and engineered by Nat Wiener. And my guest is the lovely Kate Arding, who is a, a lady about town in the world of cheese. And um, in addition to all the, the good work that we've been talking about so far, um, is one of the founders of Culture Magazine, which I'm holding in front of me right now. Um, it's it's a gorgeous issue. It's a, it's all about ricotta, and it's making me very hungry. <laughs> That's the idea. <laughs> <laughs> what is it about cheese photography? It's just like cheese lends itself. It has that like you know just absolutely come hither look about it, and it's like I don't know. It, it's almost it seems like some of these pictures should be illegal. Well, we have had several people refer to the publication as cheese porn. So, <laughs> partly brought on because we have this cheese centerfold in each issue. I'm which, looking uh, at it. At the Tome yeah. de Bordeaux, this is a sexy <laughs> cheese indeed. Yes, we've had a few um, emails from various cheesemongers saying that they've actually pinned them up on the staff lockers so I'm not quite <laughs> sure where, where to go with that. <laughs> Isn't that funny? It's like when you go to the like the garage to get your car fixed, it's like the Corona girl in like a bikini and when you go to the cheese shop it's the Tome de Bordeaux in the <laughs> locker room. <laughs> I know but I love that geeky aspect of it actually personally. <laughs> yeah, oh I do too. <laughs> um, but this is an incredible publication um, so t- can you tell our listeners about Culture Magazine and, and how it got started? Yes, well, we were, the, the uh, origins of it actually were about, uh, gosh, two years ago now. And um, one of my close friends, uh, Salasa Skinner, who has been running the Oxbow Cheese Merchants in the Napa Valley, mm-hmm. and I, who've known each other for years, were um, sitting having a beer one evening, the way we do. And... Um, her sister, Stephanie Skinner, uh, happened to be visiting from the East Coast. And Stephanie is a um, veteran magazine publisher of huge experience. Anyway, about three beers into the conversation, <laughs> Stephanie um, stood up in, in, a matter that, in a manner that I now recognize very well and, and said rather um, confrontationally, so how come nobody's doing a magazine about cheese? And 
Lassa and I looked at each other and sort of shrugged and said, well, I don't know. And, <laughs> and so Stephanie said, well, let's do it. Let's do it. And we went, yeah, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. And, um, of course, neither Lassa or I had a clue how to even sure. talk about that. So, um, anyway, to her eternal credit, Stephanie kept sort of, you know, niggling away at this and, and said, you know, if we don't do it, somebody else is going to. And um, so we sort of moved forward, and then a year later, um, actually it was three years ago now, I was thinking. Wow. Yeah, so a year later, we actually managed to uh, get the funding together and um, launched it. And, of course, between inception, which was really that June, July, and um, the actual first issue coming out, which was December 2008, the uh, world's economies collapsed and everybody said, you know, you're absolutely crazy if you continue with this project. I mean, not only that, but the world of publishing is just on it, print media anyway, is sort of on its knees. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, so everyone's look- struggling. Well, exactly. So I think, you know, sometimes naivety, at least on my part, could be a good thing. And we thought, well, we've just got to give this a try. And so we did. And uh, we launched on a, a shoestring budget. And we kept the, the sort of pennies really tight, and, and it really has just grown tremendously. And I think an enormous part of that is the wonderful, wonderful support we've had from, you know, a huge number of people from within the industry, you know, but also outside too, and, and the readers and the, the people who seem to take such a huge interest and a lively interest in what we do, and that's what makes it really fun. You know, it's yes, it's it is obviously a, a magazine, and we have a now a robust and com- companion website. Uh, the magazine's not online, um, but you know, we have a Facebook community now of over eleven thousand fans, wow. which tells you a lot. And it's just I, I actually view it personally in many ways as. as rather similar to being a cheesemonger, you know, because, yes, we've got this, you know, what I think is lovely magazine, but it, people come and buy the magazine because they want to know about the cheeses and the producers. You know, they're not coming to it because of us. You know, we're the conduit. And I think that's the philosophy that we've really adopted right from the start. You know, I think the minute that you start to let your egos get in the way, you're in trouble. So if we make mm-hmm. it all about the people that we're writing about and the cheeses and the stories, you know, a lot of the rest of it just naturally follows. And I think people pick up on that. Well, and it's interesting because in the magazine, I mean, I'm just going to go through the table of contents for this magazine. Um, we have Remains of the Way about making ricotta, which includes recipes that you can make at home as well as profiles of ricotta. You have um, Cabrales, so you're profiling, um, you know, a wonderful Spanish blue. Um, there is a, a, a story about Zingerman's Creamery in Ann Arbor and the cheesemaker who who started that business along with Ari Weisenzweig and um and his partner there is a photo journal uh, photojournalism essay about um a shepherd bringing uh goats you know up the up the hills and in, in in the pyrenees and so i think that one of the things that um that culture does really well is highlight the incredible diversity of 
experiences and jobs and livelihoods also that can be built around cheese. And I feel like a large part of your uh, Facebook fanship is probably seeking to find, you know, if they could participate in some way. And so I feel like it's an excellent conduit for people to kind of, you know, dream a little bit and see how they might participate in, in this world, which we know and love but which also continues to grow and, and needs more people involved in it from, you know, cheesemakers to cheese sellers to cheese distributors, everybody that we've been talking about. Exactly. And I, I think it, it's sort of, in a way, it's sort of armchair cheese eating yeah. <laughs> or travel, you know, all rolled into one. And I, I think the other factor which is really important in contributing to to making this magazine you know the success that it is 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 having you know had or have having such a great editorial and um team you know we have a terrific editor len Cosrover, and a wonderful designer um hillary lewis who who does all the layouts and, uh, you know, we have a very small nucleus of people, really, but they've all come from the publishing and the professional world. And, and I think that's what makes culture as a consumer publication much more accessible and, and less of a what it could be, if, which would be a trade publication, if we had all industry people writing these articles like me that's why i don't write very much because <laughs> i tend to get too geeky you know, and, and uh, it's interesting you know because it's i remember in early meetings you know and i was talking about alpine cheeses and how we should do an article on this and that and, and there was this sort of row of blank faces and sort of saying well what nursed an alpine cheese you know and that's but it's a it's an you important have to have that input that is the most important thing to have it yeah. is and it is because it's a bit from the outside looking in uh which is what makes it you know what puts our our profession the sort of cheesemongering profession into into understandable language you know for people who are just interested and and you know, or just involved. getting into it, yeah. Exactly. Because exactly. yeah, the, the magazine is incredibly dense with information and with beautiful pictures from profiling cheese shops to um, having a grilled cheese recipe every issue to, um, you know, highlighting cheese festivals. And so I think you guys hit kind of that perfect timber of giving giving good information for everyone from cheese neophytes to... Um, you know, like self-proclaimed cheese geeks like me. I, I've been, like, devouring the issue all week. <laughs> well, thank you, because I know Elaine will be particularly happy to hear that, because actually we do spend an inordinate amount of time, not just with each issue, but with across the spread of issues, in trying to obtain that balance, you know, so that, you, for instance, when we're considering the content for each issue, we want to make sure that that there's a good geographical spread, mm, for instance, mm-hmm. you know, that it's both U.S. domestic and some international, um, even gender of the cheesemaker, um, you know, all sorts of things, you know, cow, sheep, goat um, balance. I mean, there's a tremendous, it's rather like putting together a cheese display. You know, there's all these things that one needs to hmm. think about to achieve that balance and to appeal to, the, to a wide audience. Absolutely. Well, um, 
someone someone was asking me the question the other day, and I guess it would be a good one to ask you. Um, you know, because there is such a broad range of topics to be discussed, and there is such a broad range of experience that your readers have. Um, how do you how do you put together the issues with regard to, you know, when do you put in the article about how do you wrap and store cheeses versus you know do you put that in issue one and then you know move on to more complex things uh, in subsequent issues or it seems like you're able to kind of you're able to kind of juggle that very well so that anyone could subscribe at any time and kind of, you know, find the basics as well as finding more in-depth information should they need, should they want it. Well, that that's, again, that comes back to the point we were just making, you know, that we do look at each issue very carefully. Uh, we don't want to assume that somebody has been subscribing from the start because that we try and be as inclusive as, as we possibly can. So there are some... Articles. I mean, when you look through the magazine, you'll see that there are sort of major features, which I can now say because I know this phrase, being in the trade now, um, <laughs> called well articles, which are the, the, main, um, the main features, you know, with the biggies, in other words. Um, and we plan those a long way out. You know, we're, we're planning those probably about a year ahead, mainly because we want to get uh, photography that's seasonally correct. You know, so for instance, we can't have an article that's going to be coming out in the summer, you know, taken of a farm where there's snow on the ground, you know, because that would look a bit crazy. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> so we're sort of planning a year ahead and on those big ones, those big pieces. And then the, the less time-sensitive ones, uh, we have, you know, we're, we're always on the lookout for those. We're always writing and we're always sort of building up a stock of those. Um, but equally, we're, we're getting much better now about planning. <laughs> oh, my goodness, early, yeah, that is admirable. Were, were nuts. I mean, the, the first issue was, was quite good because we had this, the luxury of this lead time, and then I remember Stephanie actually saying, you know, the rubber really meets the road between the first and second issue. <laughs> my goodness, she wasn't joking. <laughs> you could smell <laughs> Suddenly it. Suddenly <laughs> you're on a deadline, you know, and, and it's so funny because when I was you know, working full-time behind the cheese counter, and I'd get these calls from journalists, you know, yelling at me, I need this now, you know, blah, blah. I and you're like, thought, relax. Yeah, like, I come thought, on. stupid people, why can't they just get organized? <laughs> now <laughs> I find myself doing exactly the same thing. <laughs> so I, I have to say, I mean, coming from both sides of the fence, it, it's astounding how much work is involved in publishing. I have to say, I have a whole new respect for people, you know, in that in that world. It is. We always think. I always thought cheesemongering was a lot of work, and it is. But this is takes it to a, to a whole other level, but in a different way. You know, it, it's uh, it's it's really it's very cool. I feel very very lucky to be to be part of this. Well, I feel very lucky that you have decided to put your put your effort into it because it is um, just a, a wealth of information, um, and it is yeah, it's a beautiful beautiful publication. I, I wanted to ask you, um, we're, we just have a few minutes left, but are there any sort of um, s- tangible success stories that you can? Uh, or, or success stories might not be the exact right way to say it, but um, people who have um, come to different realizations or different jobs or different life changes through Culture Magazine? Gosh, that is a good question. Um, 
Apart from me, you mean. <laughs> um, gosh, I can't really answer that. I, I don't know. I think we'd have to we'd have to throw that out there to the audience. I mean, I I uh, I hope that we're inspiring people. You know, we we try to, and I, I think again, just by being a conduit rather than us actually inspiring people, but by just telling the stories of what other people have done and and are doing and trying to tell it in a very honest uh, and in-depth way, you know, not trying to, to paint the picture sort of as being overly rosy. You know, it's, it's one of the things when people come up to me and say, oh, I really want to be a cheesemaker, you know, and I, the first thing I say to them is, do you like cleaning? Because exactly. <laughs> That is a recurrent theme on the show. It's a very recurrent theme. (laughs) And uh, so I think, you know, we try and put that into the articles. I don't just mean the cleaning. I mean, but just try and paint an honest portrait of, you know, these individual stories. Because, as you know, they're they're so wide-ranging. I mean, this is partly what's so fascinating about the cheese world to me is, is that, so much of yeah. it is is serendipity. I feel like just like you were saying with your own story, um, it's uh, it's it's just um, you know people fall into it in unexpected ways. They do, and and for a variety of reasons. And sometimes it's because they don't have a choice. Uh, I mean, I've been with my old consulting hat on over the years. You know, I've worked a lot in Wisconsin uh, with some cheesemakers there who were literally had been making, you know, fairly standard sort of block cheddars and so on and finding they couldn't sell them anymore. And so it was, okay, well, we need to change, i.e. go into sort of more artisanal or farmstead route or go out of business. Mm. Um, that's the sort of harsher end. Um, and I'm happy to say that in most cases it's really worked. You know, other times it's, you know, back to the land people, you know, people who've had other careers, um, others who have taken over the reins from their parents or even their grandparents. I mean, there are as many stories as, as you could possibly imagine, but the, the common denominator is is this passion for cheese. And, and I don't know how else to put it, but that it's so infectious. You know, and I, it's, it's a world that, you know, I think both you and I love, and, and in my case certainly has been very good to me. Absolutely. Well, I have one. I have one quick story that I can share um, from uh, you know chatting with people about what Culture Magazine has done for them. Um, back about two weeks ago, um, during the Fancy Food Show, I was invited to visit these um, these caves in um, Bedsty, which is a neighborhood in Brooklyn, and. Um, this uh, this gentleman who's very industrious, very handy, um, has a, a metal shop, has a letterpress, has an amazing garden, is growing a lot of his food right where he lives, um, has a, a, a home with a green roof, um, also has an incredible sort of building out behind uh, the apartment build or the, the building that he and his wife refurbished that used to be a brewery, and these um, and these caves down in the ground about thirty feet. Wow. under the street level and he found these caves and he 
thought that, um, you know, he'd like to age some cheese there. And he had gotten in touch with Peter Dixon, who's the cheesemaker at Consider Bardwell Farm, from Culture Magazine, because you guys had listed one of cheese, uh, one of uh, Peter's cheesemaking workshops. And so he had gone up to Vermont and met Peter and made cheese with him. I think he attended two workshops and then invited Peter to his place in, in Brooklyn uh, to see these caves and see what they might do together. So, oh, wow. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. Oh, that so, is wonderful. So, I'm so glad you told me that. <laughs> yeah, so they're just these little seeds. I think for your Facebook page, maybe people should contribute and see, you know, they should write in their stories, like if Culture Magazine has, you know, has provided that link for them in some ways, because I bet it would be an amazing outpouring. Of, I'm sure it would. I mean, I, I think that's a wonderful idea. So go do it, people. Go, go do it, people, <laughs> yes. I think that would be, because we have, you know, a, a very, yeah, very lively bunch of, of fans, or now they seem to be called likes, I think, um, on uh, on Facebook, which is, has been a very useful exercise for us because it also shows us what people are interested in, too. So, it's, yeah, there's so many wonderful stories. You know, we could go on all afternoon. <laughs> I know. Well, I, 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 I'm, I'm tempted to, but I'm, I'm seeing that, uh, unfortunately, we are out of time for this afternoon. Um, but I thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to, to come on the show and, and tell us about your cheese, cheesy experiences. And um, I hope you'll join us again uh, for a future show. Well, thank you so much. It's been really fun chatting with you, and, and I'd love to. Absolutely. All right. Well, have a wonderful weekend, and we'll see you next week on Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. 